everybody? We definitely having thank you. We can we definitely have technical difficulties when you can see me twice. As if my beautiful face is not enough in real life, you get to be damaged with the picture. Um, it's an absolute honor and a privilege to have you with us this morning on the long weekend. Thank you for making the time uh, to be with us here as we conclude our series titled Faith Book. And this is uh, the last one we're looking at in the attributes in the names of God. And today, it's my honor to finalize this series by looking at a very special characteristic of God. It's a name of God known as Jehovah Shalom. And uh, whether you're a Christian or a non-Christian, whether you have been exposed to the Bible or not, you probably have heard people speak out loud and say Shalom here and Shalom that. Uh, growing up in, a, in, a, in, a, in my home country, we had all types of people going around saying a derivative of Shalom, which is Salam. And that usually is a phrase that speaks of peace. So when we talk about God, Jehovah uh, Shalom, it's about God our peace or God is peace. And uh, today we're going to look a little bit at the background of how this phrase came about and how God self-revealed himself to one of the most ordinary people that you can come across. And his name was Gideon. And uh, this is a situation where God in the midst of a crisis appears to Gideon and at the end of his conversation, uh, you know, uh, Gideon was so scared he thought he's going to die and God lavished peace upon him and he declared that space. He, 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 he constructed an altar and called it uh, God is peace or Jehovah Shalom. Uh, so I'm going to read you that little passage if the, if the screens are working, and then uh, we will go into the actual understanding of that. So in Judges chapter 6 and verse 23, oh, it's going to be a long verse. It says this, So Gideon built an altar to the Lord, there and called it, the Lord is peace. The Lord is peace. And it says that up till this time, that place stands. So what is peace? Is peace, uh, you know, the absence of war and conflict? It's actually bigger than that. The word shalom in uh, uh, Hebrew language has absolutely no one word equivalent in our English language. The closest to it will be wholeness. It's a, it's a, it's a diverse uh, description of a state of being that's peaceful from the outside as much as it's peaceful from the inside. It's what a word that uh, most uh, uh, Hebrew scholars will call it totality. It's like everything in its place. It's right. If you would, uh, uh, in your slang uh, language, you say somebody has equilibrium. They've got it all in the right place. Things as they should be. And they call it the fulfillment of the greatest possibility that humans could have. So it's a state of being 
that's beyond just having a little bit of cessation of war or conflict. It's why it involves well-being. It involves prosperity. It involves being all that God intends for you to be. And God says that state of being, I am the source of all of that. In fact, even in the New Testament, we hear that Jesus is called the Prince of Peace. He is our peace. He is not the giver of peace. He is our peace. That's his character. He is that and therefore bless you. Therefore, he gives us that type of lifestyle. And maybe you're wondering whether all Christians or if you have experienced other people of other religions experience that state of being complete, a state of being whole, a state of being in a peace and contentment and satisfaction. It's like, I don't know a lot of people that experience that. And you're right. Because our equilibrium gets disturbed. Quite regularly, our equilibrium gets disturbed. Sometimes because of relational reasons. Sometimes because of situational uh, factors. Other times because of personal emotional factors. It is quite easy for us to think on top of our heads of times where a comment or a, a relationship that gone pear-shaped or a, a conflict or a tension relational have caused us to feel so disturbed, we say we've lost our peace. Other times, situations that are outside our control, things that come our way that we didn't expect. So it did, that's not the plan. I didn't have that in mind. And that can sometimes disturb our peace. It could be something big. It could be something small. It doesn't always have to be a ridiculously negative thing. For example, the year 12 students at the moment, they're experiencing a little bit of a lack of equilibrium unless they've been sitting in the fridge for several months. You know, They have a little bit of tension and anxiety, which we should really be praying for the year 12 stuff, shouldn't we? You know, the hard work, the anxieties, the stress, the unable to sleep and all that type of stuff. Maybe we should have all the year 12 students' parents stand up so we can pray for them, right? They experience more stress than the year 12. But truly, little things that happen in our lives and big things that happen in our lives can create that little bit of tension that can freak us out, that can bring anxieties or fear or insecurities, and we feel like we're a little bit of balance. Have you been there? What do we do? When we experience this state that we don't really want in our lives, how do we re, uh, restore equilibrium? How do we gain shalom again? And usually we do one of many things, but I'll just mention three things that we do. Sometimes we lash out. When things are not going according to plan, when we feel a little bit stressed or anxious or fearful, we just lash out. And usually we lash out at the people that we love the most. Other times we lie low. We, we just say, you know, we want to go under the duna. We're going to forget about it. And hopefully one day it will go away. Or maybe we give up as a result of, of, of feeling like this is so beyond my capacity to deal with it. But others of us look around for solutions. Human made up solutions. We look for alternatives. We look for things that will bring us happiness or contentment or peace or it may be whatever you're looking for to make you whole again. 
And this is not a new thing. We're not a weed race. It's not something to do with the 21st century. This has been going on for centuries upon centuries upon centuries. In fact, if you uh, reflect on the history of the Israelites, the people of God, once they went through the patriarch uh, era, starting with Abraham, they went into a place called Egypt, and they were enslaved there for many years, and God raised up a, a warrior, a deliverer. His name was Moses, and he took them out of Egypt. You may have seen, oh, Martin, it, you, you might have seen uh, the movie. And Moses took them out. They were in the wilderness for uh, many years, 40 years, and then they entered their promised land and then began an era called the era of judges just before the monarchy or in, in the kingdom of Israel. And uh, in, the, in the time of the, of the judges, which is actually a book that narrates how the Israelites lived their life uh, during, uh, during those years, uh, they went through a cycle, a very depressive cycle. It's written uh, throughout the different narratives, but at the end of the book of Judges, um, we read that everybody did whatever they pleased, whatever was good in their eyes. Basically, it was all relative. They lived life as they pleased. They wanted to enjoy themselves in a way that they can experience the peace that they so desperately were looking for. And then they have, you know, God brought them out of the wilderness. They experience rest for a season. And then they rebel and they move away from God. And then God uh, allows them to experience the retribution for, for their action. And, and when it gets really tough through some enemies' oppressions, uh, they, they cry out to God and they repent. And as a result of that, God, in his kindness and compassion, he comes to rescue them usually by raising what we call a judge or a deliverer, a hero that will bring them back out of, out of that separation from God and, and the oppression that they've experienced into a season of peace and rest. And this story that we're looking at today actually occurs in the fourth cycle of this whole thing of rest, rebellion, repentance, uh, and, uh, and rest again. And the, uh, and the person is the fourth judge in the, in the book of Judges. His name is Gideon. And his story occupies the greatest number of verses in the entire book. It is considered to be central to the entire book of Judges as if to indicate the, the, the whole sequence of events uh, that occurred to the Israelite at this time, but primarily because God wanted to show himself to be different from the other gods that they were looking at and worshipping. So the Israelites in, 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 in this particular story have, had experience, have experienced peace for about 40 years. A prior judge by the name of Deborah slash Barak, they had delivered the Israelites from the cruelty of the Canaanites, and now they experienced rest for 40 years. Usually when the Bible speaks of 40 years, that's about a generation. So the generation that experienced the deliverance of God uh, uh, through Deborah, most of them have gone by now. And now it is time for God to reveal himself again to the next generation. Why? Because they began to en endure 
the same type of vicious cycle that others before them have endured and they've done evil in the eyes of the Lord. And, uh, and, and then God sent them, the hand of God sent them a, an oppressor, a power, another enemy, the Midianites and Amalekites, and they, were, they are described in the Bible as locusts. Locusts, in a sense, it speaks of the destruction that they can cause in a crop, but also speaks of how vast, numerous they are. And, uh, and in order to live out this tension and to restore peace because they were so oppressed, they feared for their lives. Every time they had a harvest, uh, the Midianites and the Amalekites, they would come and destroy and ruin the crops. So they were impoverished. They were poor. They didn't have any sustainability. And in order to find a way out, they continued to worship a god, a pagan god called Baal. And, and that god was responsible for prosperity. It was a god that promised fertility in the land and reproduction amongst people. It was like a, a real awesome alternative to what they couldn't get from their relationship uh, away uh, from God. And there, as a result of their deviation, God said, okay, for seven years, you're going to experience the penalty of your action. Because how many of us as parents know that it's helpful to help the kids see the consequences of their action? And God allowed them for seven years to be troubled. And then, in the midst of every failed attempt to turn things around, they cry out to God. And the amazing thing about God, he didn't say, this is the first time, it's the second time, at three strikes, you're gone. This was the fourth time. And he pops up. And he comes to a guy, his name is Gideon. And this is how we read the story. It says, the angel of the Lord came and sat down under an oak of, of Ophrah that belonged to Joash that Abazarite, where his son Gideon was threshing wheat in a wine press to keep it from the Midianites. When the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, he said, the Lord is with you, mighty warrior. The funny thing is here, the angel of the Lord appeared to Gideon, and where was he? He was in a wine press. A wine press is an indoor located area that is not helpful or conducive for threshing wheat because wheat is actually uh, it goes through a, a, a season outside where the farmer would take the, 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 the wheat and would throw it in the air so the chaff would be uh, the wind will take the chaff away and the grain will fall to the ground and that's how they harvested the wheat. So imagine in an indoor area and Gideon is throwing the, the, the wheat in the air and like, you know, like crazy he's doing that with his hand. Let some wind come about so we can see the chaff, differentiate the chaff from the grain. He was fearful for his life and he was fearful for his crop and he was in a place imprisoned uh, by trepidation. And in that crisis, the angel of the Lord comes. Not to a mighty warrior, but to a fearful person, a person in crisis. And it says, you are mighty. And it says, what are you on about? I'm not mighty. You know that I'm scared. 
But it says, I'm speaking and I, I, ironically of what you see yourself in the circumstances, but what God sees you beyond the circumstances. I can see you as a different person. And I am here, the God of peace, to change everything around. And what Gideon is about to understand from God's self-revelation, I believe for me personally, I hope it is for you too, would induct us, will launch us into a season of experiencing God as our peace more regularly than not, particularly in times where the going is tough. So when Gideon hears this, he says to him, how could this be? How could this be? Pardon me, my Lord, Gideon replied, but if the Lord is with us, why has all this disaster happened to us? We're in the midst of a very gloomy season. And the enemy is absolutely ruining our lives. We're experiencing relational tension. We're experiencing situational disturbance. And Gideon is experiencing a sense of complete and utter fear and anxiety and insecurity in the midst of, of this disastrous season. And he says to God or to the angel of the Lord, he says, the reason is God. God has abandoned us and has given us into the hands of Midian. Like the disaster that we're in is a result of God forsaking us. But has God forsaken them? Has God forsaken the Israelites? The reality is the Israelites have forsaken God. It's written early in that chapter that they did evil in the eyes of the Lord. And when, when God has done so much for them, uh, uh, in fact, it's embedded in their identity, in their social identity as a people, uh, that God has done wonders for them throughout their existence. He's taken them out of, out of Egypt, delivered them through miraculous signs and wonders. He's brought them through the wilderness and he cared for them for 40 years. He brought them into their promised land. And now you're still telling me God has forsaken us after all the love and the affection and the care and the provision for this many years. Your identity testified that God has never forsaken us. But also the discipline that I've allowed. I have been active, Gideon. I have sent the Midianites to knock you out, to knock some sense into you. I've allowed them to oppress you for seven years because I wanted to wake you up. I knock at the door, sometimes softly, sometimes I shake that door so that you could understand that I'm there. I might be invisible, but I'm not inactive. And then God is, says that he has sent a prophet, a nameless prophet, to remind them that God is with them, but they aren't listening. So God has been active. God has been active, even though he's been invisible. And for you and I, if we're going to experience peace in whatever challenges and difficulties and whatever disasters or traumas that we're experiencing, big or small, we need to understand that God's presence, the God of peace, never leaves the god of peace never leaves that's his promise he says i'll never leave you nor forsake you you might stuff up you might be faithless but god never leaves you 
You need to hear that even if you have never been in a, in, a, in a church before. Even if you've never had experience of God before. You need to know that God will never leave you nor forsake you because he loves you. Loves you even though he's invisible. He's not in active in your life. And he's present to bring you peace. Because in God's presence, if God is with you, who can be against? But it doesn't stop there because Gideon is saying to the angel, is saying, okay, I understand. You're saying that God is not inactive, but he must be ineffective. If he's around, but he can't deliver us, something's wrong with him. His battery must have gone flat. His power must have been deflated because, yes, we've experienced past miracles, but at the moment we're in an absolute agony. We're under oppression and for seven years, and the number seven usually in the scripture means a long time. It's a number of perfection and completeness. And we've been impoverished. But God says to him, look at when, when Gideon asks God, he says to him, where are all his wonders that our ancestors told us when they said, did not the Lord bring us up out of they said stories about the past. The Lord turned to him. I feel like almost the Lord, uh, can you see that the angel of the Lord now is called the Lord? Because it's an apparition. It's a, a pre-incarnation manifestation of the second person of the Trinity. This is Christ himself before he came on Christmas Day. This is in the Old Testament. It says almost like the Lord turned to him. It's like, you got my attention, bro. I get what you're saying. You're saying, I have delivered in the past, and what the heck am I doing now? I want to tell you what I'm doing now. Go in the strength you have and save Israel out of Midian's hand. Am I not sending? You know what is fascinating? That uh, question, if we get those questions again, the first one, when, when, when Gideon is saying to God, did not the Lord bring us? Up out of Egypt. And the second one was God is responding to him saying, Am I not sending you? They start with a Hebrew particle that actually means, Is it not? Is it not? That it assumes that the answer is in the affirmative. It assumes, Yes, the Lord took us out of Egypt. And yes, I'm sending you. You know what God was saying to Gideon? He's saying that. You are like little Moses to me. I brought people out of Egypt by Moses' hand. And I can bring your people out of the oppression of the Midians by your hand. As sure as I did wonders through Moses, I can do wonders through you. How crazy is that? God is saying, just as sure as I did wonders through Moses, I will do wonders for you, Gideon. That's freaky. In fact, the whole narrative, the narrator deliberately tries to explain to us that God sees Gideon like a little Moses. You know, the people were oppressed in Exodus chapter 2 in the days of Moses, and here the people are oppressed in Judges chapter 6. And God finds a man, his name is Moses, in the middle of nowhere, and he finds Gideon in the middle of nowhere. He invites both of them to be commissioned to do something profound. And both of them refrain from that. Both of them share their incompetence. But God is saying, you are 
my man. You are my man. And Gideon is saying, okay, I get all you're saying in the past was sounding quite logical. But when you come to say them a little Moses, uh, I think you've got the wrong attitude. Because you don't know who I am. You probably have seen me in the wine press and you thought that I had a little bit of strength. It's strength, but you've got me wrong. Look at what he says to him. He says, my clan, my clan is the weakest in Manasseh. And I am the least in my family. It's like the Lord is saying to him, go with your strength. And, and Gideon literally saying, with what? With what? What strength are you talking about? I have no strength. And look what, what God says to him. He says, I will. The next, uh, the next slide, please. The Lord. The Lord answered, I give them hard time. Please forgive me. Um, the Lord answered, I will be with you and you will strike down all the Midianites, leaving none alive. Thank you, Lord. I'll strike down. I will empower you so beyond your understanding. Don't look at your weaknesses. Don't even look at your strength. Look at me and what I can do. And you know what? We look at it and say, oh, well, God can do that. As if God is going to get him to play, you know, uh, wrestling with three or four kids in the playground. And God is going to give him the energy to win. No. There were over 130,000 Midianites with their camels. Have you been to Egypt? You would have seen the camels. They're big. They're quite big. So you've got these people riding on camels. And the Israelites are, oh, you're pretty tall. And we're like nobody and you're 130,000 people. And when God was about to deliver the Midianites in Gideon's hand, and Gideon had 32,000 people, 32,000 in front of 130,000, like you have no hope under heaven, even if you've got electronic capacities to play with their brains, you have no idea how to beat 130 with 30,000. And God says, no, you've got too many. What? Have you counted before? You failed math. It's 130 versus 30. And God says, no, too many. And they bring them down until, he says, whoever is afraid, go home. You know, play on your PlayStation. Just go home. It's too big, too tough. And a few thousands leave. He was stuck with, with, with 3,000. And then God says, no, nah, it's too many. And he gets, gives them 50. You know why? God, because God says that my wonder, must be done with the weakest of the people. So you don't take credit. You're a little Moses, not because you're capable, but because you're incapable. I read once to one commentator that says, you're never too small for God to use you. You're only too big. You're never too small for God to do miracles through you. But you can't be too big. You can be big-headed. You can have high estimate in your own abilities. I can have high estimate in my own abilities. And God has to reduce us before he can use us. So you have peace, Gideon. Because God, the God of peace, never fails. The God of peace never fails. Neither with Moses, and he will not fail with you. 
because you can have peace. I can have peace because of God's immeasurable power. Peter, my situation is too big. I understand. And God does too. But he's got immeasurable power. My challenges are too much. God understands. He's got power. My problems are irreparable. God understands. He's got immeasurable power. And Gideon is saying, all right. You are giving me a deal I can't refuse. But I want to know that you're the real deal. I want to know that you're not just baiting me so I can go to the media and I'll be minced meat. So I'm going to tell you a deal here. And he proposes something to God. Look at what he says. He doesn't know that this is God. He just thinks he's an angel. He says, Gideon replied, If now I have found favor in your eyes, give me a sign that, is re- that it is really you talking to me, that I'm not imagining things. Please do not go away until I come back and I bring an offering and set it before you. What is that offering? He said, like a goat and bread and broth, as if God needs some broth. And the Lord said, I will wait until you return. And Gideon went inside to prepare a young goat. And apparently the bread was so big as like 30 or 40 kilograms. It was ridiculous. He didn't say to God, wait a second, I'm going to make you an espresso or an orange juice or have you know, a cupcake. He's like going to cook a goat. You know how long that's going to get take? He's going to prepare a huge bread and do broth. I don't know where he's going to get that from. But the reality is it's going to take a long time. And God is saying, all right, I'll wait. I've got all day. I'm going to run so slow to, for your pace to catch up with me. How gracious and how beautiful is his God and your God. And like the angel sending Jesus uh, prior to his incarnation, you know, sending Christ uh, a text message saying, you know, we've got a tsunami coming up. He says, oh, wait a second, I've got Gideon coming. He's just cooking something. He's coming back. Just wait. Well, we've got walls breaking up. Oh, yeah, 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 I'm coming. But I'm just going to wait for Gideon. He's coming. He's coming. Just, he's cooking a ghost. How patient, how beautifully considerate is your God and my God. Wouldn't that be beautiful? The God of peace waits patiently. And you and I should have peace because of his infinite patience with you. And me. You might say, you know, I've given God a really hard time. He's been waiting for me for years. I haven't come to know God yet, or I have come and have left, and it must have been years since the last time I, I lifted up the phone to give him a prayer. I'm going to stand, I'm waiting. You don't worry. I'm waiting. You're too special for me to give up on you. Zach, how can you have peace? The same way Gideon found God to be his you need you and I, whether you're a Christian or non-Christian, you can come and cry out to God once again and say, God, I declare that you're the God whose presence gives me peace. I pray that God, I pray that you are the God whose power defeats all challenges and all enemies and all wicked plans. And God, I understand that you're the God of patience. You're not going to give up on me. You're not going to run away. You're still going to wait until I come back. You are not frustrated with me. Friends, I want to tell you this. The shalom, the well-being, the prosperity, the inner peace, the outer peace, the fulfillment, the wholeness, the totality that you're so desperately seeking can only be found in the shalom. That is one person, not a thing, in the shalom that is desperately seeking.
the shalom you've been desperately seeking can only be found in Jesus. His name is Shalom, and he's desperately seeking you today. You might have never had an experience of God before. Maybe you've been to church, maybe you've never been to church. I want to tell you God is sending you a friend request today. Just as we finish off this series, God is sending you a friend request saying, would you be my friend? You see, with the private uh, accounts on Facebook, you have to know the person. Uh, you have to be friends of the person to know them. And God is saying, I've left my profile public. You can know me first so you can be my friend. I want to be your friend. Would you come? Would you come today if you've never known Jesus? Would you come to him today? Would you say, I want to be your friend? I don't, even, I don't even know, God, what that means. I haven't been brought up in a Christian environment. I have, don't have that, uh, you know, linger going on in my life. But I don't know. I want to know you. If you're the one that is all that I need, if you're the one that will give me everything that I've ever wanted, but I've always looked around for something of an alternative value, and I've never been at peace, I want you today. But maybe for some of us who have been, you know, Christians for a long time and living with God for a long time, maybe we're walking well with Jesus in the moment, maybe like Gideon, God is waving at you and saying, you're my little Moses. You're my little Moses. Would you come alongside me? I want you to come along to this project of actually doing something so significant and so powerful that will change people around your own will be glad to know you. Or maybe you're totally ignoring God and you've been away for a long time and God is totally speaking to you. Thank you for being my friend. I know you've been away. I know you thought this Christianity thing doesn't work out. You've been restricted. You've been burnt out. You've been hard done by. I've got to say, yes, you have. I've got my finger on you. I know you. I know what you've gone through. I know the hassles you've experienced. I know the trauma that you've gone through. I know how hard things have been. I know how nasty people have been. I know that you have lost it so many times. I know that you failed and you tried and you failed. But I've got you today. Would you come? Would you bow your heads? And would you, in your own way, whether you have been in this Christian thing or not, would you say something to God? Because he is after you today because he deeply loves you. In your own way, would you utter a little prayer and ask him to be your friend? Father, in the name of Jesus, I ask that in the power of your spirit that you would knock on every door and that every friend request may be received today with an open heart. That people who may never have experienced a relationship with you, whether they've been in the church for years or never been in the church before, maybe, just maybe, they would open themselves up to get to know you a little better. And to experience your peace right here on earth and near for eternity. To live in harmony with you because of what Jesus done on the cross. So I pray in the power of the name of Jesus that you would knock on the door of their hearts and their wills in the name of Jesus. And Father, I pray for many of us who have been living idle even though we're followers of Jesus. 
that you would take us with you on the mission to live wholeheartedly for the one who lived wholeheartedly and died for us. That we would live meaningful and significant lives because of you. And Father, I pray in the name of Jesus that for those of us who are just running away and trying to ignore you, that you would poke us. And that you bring us back to our center. And thank you for the hearts that are, are right now making decisions to follow you. I thank you for the hearts that want to realign to your purposes and your plans. I want to thank you for the hearts that are turning around from years of being far away from you, not authentic with you, or, or just outside. They're walking as if they know you, but on the inside they don't have a relationship with you. I thank you that they're returning to the heart of the Father right now. And thank you that you accept them wholeheartedly. Thank you that you've been waiting for them wholepassionately. And thank you that in your presence there's fullness of joy for them to enjoy for the rest of their lives and onto eternity. We love you. We honor you. Our God is King. In the matchless name of Jesus we pray. God's people said amen. Thank you so much for being here. Let's stand up for our last song.